Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, August the 18th, 2021, and happy National Fajita Day to everyone out there. My name is Tom Hollingsworth. I am your Mexican food-loving host for this episode, and joining me is uh, one of my favorite co-hosts, Mr. Zach DeMeyer. Zach, how are you today, and what is your favorite Mexican food? I'm doing great. Thanks, Tom. Uh, you know, I've got to say, I am a sucker for a chili reno. Got to love a cheese-stuffed pepper just completely fried and battered and covered in beans and rice. You sure you didn't grow up in Oklahoma? Because let's face it, all of our favorite foods are pretty much deep fried and filled with cheese. That's a good point. You know, I might have to come down there and visit you. Uh, maybe we'll re record the next rundown in person. Well, you know, what's not cheesy, though, is the news that we've got in our lineup this week, because there's quite a few stories of revolving around some security uh, things going on. But we also have some other ex uh, exciting things we want to talk about. Um, speaking of which, let's jump right in because uh, we have a couple of interesting stories coming here. Uh, the first one's out of our friends over at Amazon because there was a leaked internal document that is reporting that Amazon is planning on logging their employees' keystrokes to prevent data leaks. The document references a software program called Behaviosec that is used to monitor heuristics from keyboard and mouse inputs that can determine whether or not you are trying to legitimately access customer data or if you are illegitimately doing it outside of your job role or if you are one of those dirty evil hackers that's trying to steal company data. Um, the program is something that is being used by other industry members like Cisco and Deutsche Telekom according to a company website and it does replace other quote unquote more invasive technologies that Amazon had been considering before deciding on this ostensibly lighter touch approach. Um, Zach, is Amazon about to deliver a huge privacy nightmare with this? Honestly, I think that they are, Tom. You know, the fact that you had to say that there were other methods that they were considering before they landed on this one means that they really have something in mind and i don't know if it's just a uh, a matter of security perhaps they're concerned about their employees doing something other than than work but you know if you look into the the article that we linked in the show notes it says that some of the impetus behind imply in you know in putting this uh this new system into practice is because they're concerned about some of their work from home employees and and worried that potentially uh, a roommate could come by and, and hop on the laptop of a support worker or something like that and start, you know, just typing away. And, and they're going to ideally use this, uh, this key logging tool to keep track of that. But at the end of the day, why, why would you resort to doing that? There are other security tools that you can use to keep sensitive data out of the hands of people that are going to do nefarious things with it. And at the end of the day, you know, your employees are probably... While there are certainly insiders, sure, there are probably, you know, working with the company's at least most of its best interests in mind. And so the, you know, this, uh, this watchdog state that they're implying on their employees has a very 1984 feel, you know, when, when is, uh, when is Amazon going to start using terms like good think and bad think and double good think and double plus good think and all that, you know, that, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so this this one really strikes an odd chord in me, Tom, and I I'm a I'm a little concerned for for Amazon employees going forward because it seems like you know they're the any and everything they're going to be doing on their computer is just going to be laid bare. 
because while they could just put it off and you know sequester it to certain private areas for this uh, specific uh, tool, it seems to me like it's going to be something that's going to just be used wholesale. So if you're going to use your Amazon work computer for any personal purposes, just just don't. Uh, let's let's go on to the next story here. Tom, you know, you can add a treasury to the list of places hit by ransomware. It must be Wednesday because we've got another ransomware attack. Because in what seems like a never-ending list of vulnerable targets, the Brazilian National Treasury was infected by a strain that caused them to take their systems offline and start the recovery process. This follows an attack from November 2020 that targeted Brazilian Electoral Court and shut them down for around two weeks. Tom, are government entities the new hot target when it comes to cyber attack? Man, I'm telling you, we went from one dystopian nightmare of 1984 to another dystopian nightmare, ironically enough, of a Terry Gilliam film, because this is starting to become a problem. I mean, look at the fact that they've not only been targeted before, um, but they shut down the Treasury. And they, the news article linked in the show notes is all about how this isn't going to impact anything in the economy and it's not going to be a problem. <clears throat> you just shut down the Treasury. That's a problem, no matter how you slice it. And this <clears throat> kind of echoes the story that we had last week where a bunch of the U.S. federal government uh, departments got very low grades on their cybersecurity. You know that old story of how like putting an alarm sign in your yard, even if you don't have an alarm on your house, is a way to discourage people from getting in because they see the sign and they think, oh, this is a target I don't want to deal with. I'll just go find something easier. When you can scan targets quickly in rapid succession and find exploitable things, you're not driving through the neighborhood casing the joint. You're just building a list of places you're going to hit. So you may get scanned today and they may not actively exploit your system until, I don't know, like November or December, but you're on the list. So this is no longer a matter of like security through obscurity kind of hoping that we hide well enough they know where the money's at they know how to mess up a lot of things and if this was just some punk kid like you know the seminal 1995 movie hackers um if this was johnny lee miller or angelina jolie just looking to have some fun i wouldn't care about it but looking at how most of this is driven now by nation state funding or at least the implicit blessing of companies that are of organizations that are just like, hey, let's just go mess up Uruguay's central bank system because then it'll throw the markets into chaos and we'll make money off of it. Um, that is something that I don't think can be understated enough. So if you work in the federal government of any organization, now is the time to start analyzing your plans and getting them fixed because if not, you will be making headlines. Trust me. All right. Um, speaking of ransomware, uh, Rubrik is really going to be getting serious about protecting companies from getting infected because they just announced a new strategic partnership with our friends over at Microsoft this week. They're going to be uh, some investments made to further zero trust data protection. Now, Nick Parker, who is one of the VPs of Global Alliances and Microsoft, said that Rubrik's technology is going to be integrated into Azure and Microsoft 365 in order to enhance digital resilience. Now, Zach, I know that Rubrik has been leading the charge when it comes to ransomware recovery by using data protection systems. Is this Microsoft choosing Rubrik to kind of double down on all possible ways to prevent their customers from getting infected and knocked offline by ransomware? 
You know, Tom, I think it is. And honestly, this move really doesn't surprise me very much at all, uh, especially given the way that the the market has kind of been in the past two weeks and how how many, you know, acquisitions we've been seeing, especially in the security space and and a surprising lack of, of cla- um, you know, radio noise coming out of Microsoft. It's no surprise to me that they're finally kind of jumping on the train and and bringing on just more uh, talent and more expertise and and more uh, product capabilities. And, you know, this isn't a full-on acquisition. They're really kind of just putting a stake in it, if you will. But still, it shows that Microsoft is is willing to and interested in investing in making security more of a forefront in their products. And, you know, there is the Windows Defender product, which does have a a you know like threat detection risk uh identification type feature that can be used to help uh kind of target ransomware potentially before it happens but having the ability to come in afterwards and clean up the mess and and use your backups and all that sort of thing is going to be really important especially as more and more ransomware attacks hit the news so it it definitely seems like Microsoft is really trying to sort of close the circle, if you will, on on the the ransomware picture here. And ultimately, I just think uh, this is a really going to be a good thing for most people at the end of the day, especially the folks over at Rubrik, because it shows that they've got something that is is worth investing in. And ideally, if your technology is worth investing in, then it's going to help protect the, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of users on Microsoft com- uh, computers, whether it be in the enterprise or just in, uh, you know, personal use. But it uh, it seems like this is just a, a good move forward for all parties and, and hopefully one that really helps kind of cut down on on all of these uh, attacks, or at least cuts down on the lasting impacts of the attack, as hopefully people are using Rubrik software to identify that they've been attacked and then combat it. So this uh, this this seems like it's it's certainly a good move forward by Microsoft, and it'll be interesting to see how it moves into the future and see if they really do go for the whole the full Monty and and purchase them up, or if they're just going to continue to just supply money and, and help them grow. So Tom, uh, if you're if you're deep into the programming side of IT, then you've probably heard of Postman. Uh, the company allows you to design and test your software to ensure your API calls work correctly. The check is evidently in the mail for them as they've successfully completed their Series D round of funding of 225 million US dollars. This brings them to a total valuation of $5.6 billion, which is doubling what it was a year ago. Tom, what are your thoughts on this big investment in testing APIs? So normally I'm usually the first person to tell you that there are some lofty unicorn valuations that probably don't make a whole lot of sense. This is the one time when I will tell you that it absolutely does. And I can say that because you know how sometimes you hear a lot about a product and then you think that there's a lot of smoke and then you hear people talking about a product in relation to something else and realize that it, it, is relied upon a lot more than other people realize postman's one of those things because if you're writing software and you're using api calls and you need to test and validate and make sure that everything works you're using postman to make it happen a bunch of my friends who are network engineering programming type folks like they use postman in passing remember how google wasn't a verb and now it is postman is quickly reaching that point 
So this is a Series D, so they've been around for a while. Their valuation jumped from $2 billion last year to nearly $6 billion this year. So it's more than just doubled. It's almost tripled. Um, that tells me that there's a lot going on here. And considering that people are leveraging it more and more because we are just hungry for APIs and programming calls and things like that, this isn't going to go away anytime soon. So congrats to the team at Postman. The nice thing about being worth $5.6 billion is that you're basically unbuyable at this point. So you can kind of create your own roadmap forward. Just read the room, realize that people leverage you a lot, and don't do silly things that are going to try to drive value out of this to feed those investors that are probably clamoring to get their money back now, because that's what all good investors do. Um, kind of figure out the way forward and and do what you want to do to make this work correctly. Don't don't try to like, you know, turn this into your golden calf or something like that. All right, there were a couple stories we wanted to take a closer look at involving some of our friends uh, in the industry, but also some other things that are going on. And I wanted to kick it off because, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a rundown unless we talked about Intel, because one of the things that we see when a new CEO takes over at a company is that um, there's a culling of some of the certain projects that maybe aren't material to the bottom line or not really something that a lot of people are excited about. Now, since everyone's favorite geek, Pat Gelsinger, has been back in charge at Intel, he's been really laser focusing the company back to what they think is their bread and butter, which is chip manufacturing, right? So that means that all of the crazy side projects that Intel has been working on for the last several years are going to get a really close look. And if you've ever been in a room with Pat Gelsinger when he's given you the look, you know what that means. One of the projects that is going to be um, continuing further efforts elsewhere is going to be RealSense, which is an AI-powered camera division. And to me, it always kind of felt a little bit more like a sci-fi story generator than it did a product. Well, if you read the room, about two weeks ago, the project leader, uh, Sagi Benmoshi, announced that he was going to be leaving Intel. So naturally, everybody went, oh my God, what does this mean for real sense? Well, this week, we found out what that meant because they're not going to be continuing forward with it. Okay, let's be fair. It's a really cool technology. And I'm a huge fan of really cool technologies. And it may have a lot of potential for AI-related AR compatibility, like, you know, uh, abilities for people with uh, physical handicaps to be able to interact with programming devices. Yeah, that's great and all, but you're talking about Intel, a company which has taken some shots. They've been in the ring for a while and Pat's coming back to save them. So that means that he needs to cut out all of the noise and get back to the signal. Zach, what do you think about this? Is this the, the kind of Pat saying, we're going to do the thing that we do? Or is this him just saying, I didn't care about all this extra garbage and I'm going to get rid of it under cover of let's do chip stuff? Tom, that's an excellent question. And uh, one that might be a little multifaceted as we dig into it. Ultimately, I think, especially just based off of the news that we've been discussing in past weeks, it certainly seems like a smart move forward for Intel, considering the global chip shortage that we're currently undergoing. And given the fact that the US of A really wants to stay on top of that chip dogpile as much as everyone else does, it makes sense that Intel is doing their best to help bolster those efforts. But uh, like you said, RealSense is a really cool technology. And, you know, if, if Stephen Foskett were here, he would tell us that 
uh, it's, it won't be soon before long. Give it one, two years before just about every camera, including the one in your iPhone or whatever smartphone you've got in your pocket is going to have an AI chip built into it. It's just the way that things are, are trending right now. But the fact that these cameras are purpose built with the AI chip directly into them to help foster, you know, further and foster whatever ML models you might be doing, whether it's, you know, uh, helping with an autonomous car or, you know, furthering the field of robotics, any of these things, this uh, real sense is, is really helping with that. And uh, yeah, just back, back to your original question, Tom, I, I think that this is a, definitely a move by Pat Gelsinger to really keep the chip uh making just top of mind and, and and i think that that's that's really kind of his main intent here or 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 intel's intent as a whole if you will is is to really get back to those basics like you said and really focus on on their their foundry and their uh you know all of their other chip making services that they're they're working on um you know, they are, are fabbing down to the angstrom level, as they claim, uh, which is just fantastic and, and a real um, innovation that, that we could really see going in a lot of places. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to say, perhaps if they do focus on chips now, it could really help them kind of pave the way to expand their other projects into the future as they, you know, really size down these form factors and really expand the possibilities. So, you know, this might just be one of those, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a short-term move with long-term gain kind of thing. They, they might be, uh, instead of focusing on all sorts of things, they might be just really honing in on the one that they feel is going to be the most important and it might have the most impact later on. So it's, it's hard to tell, but at the same time too, uh, there is something to be said about uh, a new, uh, a new CEO coming into, into prominence and saying, this isn't under my, you know, this isn't under my, uh, my, uh, what's the word? This isn't under my, uh, my reign, if you will. It seems, it seems like the wrong word, but, uh, I think you, you catch what I'm saying, you know, that, the uh, you, presidents do this all the time where they, they come in and they say, oh, that, that, uh, that old bill that my predecessor signed into law, let's just cut that. That's, uh, that's not my legacy. That's his. Um, and, and so this could be just uh, Pat Gelsinger kind of establishing his legacy as the, uh, the chip making um, poobah, but it, it's really hard to say. Uh, Tom, what, what are your thoughts on this? So I'm going to take off my really cool tech nerd hat for a minute because, well, let's be fair, it probably needs to be washed anyway. And I'm going to put on my financial hat. So look at this decision absent of any kind of technological advance. Intel does not invest in technologies that don't have chips. But uh, that's cut and dried. Intel will never build a software platform that doesn't require a chip. Go all the way back to some of the crazy things that you've seen. Um, I, one of the ones that I can think of is MMX, multimedia extensions. Why would Intel want to enable all of this real-time video playback that we got in the 90s in Pentiums? Well, because it needed MMX to sell more chips. This decision to invest in real sense was a Bob Swan decision. You can see his fingerprints all over it. And I'm not speaking ill of Bob Swan, but Bob Swan is a money guy. And a money guy looks at this and goes, I don't care what it does and I don't care how cool it is. If it means that we can we can sell more chips, we can sell two chips for every phone instead of one now, we're going to invest in it because that doubles our margins. So when Bob made his exit, Pat walks in 
And Pat is not a money guy. At least that's not his primary focus. Pat's a technology guy. And Pat is smart enough to look at the solution and say, this isn't going to work. Because maybe the fabs that were necessary to build the real, the real sense chips were too complicated. Maybe it was actually costing more money to try to put both of those together. Or worse yet, you have to realize there's a good possibility that someone could develop software that would mimic this exact same technology and not require Intel to have to manufacture a chip for it. Look at Apple with what they're doing with things like the uh, portrait mode on the devices. Uh, originally, portrait mode required a specific camera lens in order to work properly, but they have written a way to fake portrait mode with software. So now they don't need to buy extra hardware to make that happen. Woe be to whoever was selling them the camera lens. Intel is making a decision to rip off the Band-Aid before it gets worse. And I think it's the right decision. I don't doubt that RealSense won't be successful, but they don't need Intel propping them up. They need to make this work on their own. And I can give you chapter and verse of companies that have tried to make this a thing and it's failed miserably because as it turns out, the economies that you're looking for, the synergy that you're hoping to find isn't there and you need to flip the script, so as it were, to understand that you've got to do your core things really well first before you can ever branch out to attack those synergies. Six Sigma be damned. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Intel might be interested in, in real sense holding on to Intel chips just, just for the sheer fact that they're just selling more chips. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Tom, is it Wednesday? It must be Wednesday again, because there's a massive IoT bug that could cause a super potential botnet to emerge for nefarious purposes. The Wheel of Exploits lands today on ThruTech and their Kalei IoT cloud, cloud platform. The IoT solution vendor provides video and surveillance solutions and includes a protocol that allows for easy setup and configuration. It also allows these cameras to be exploited through CV 2021-2A372. Uh, which allows an attacker to impersonate a device in the KLA network and use that foothold to take over other devices. Users are, of course, urged to update their software and shut down access through unverified means. This could pose an issue as the KLA network is used by a number of corporate companies unknowingly that have purchased rebranded equipment. Tom, what kind of trouble are we looking at here? Okay, so first of all, because it's a really bad exploit, we can no longer refer to it by a CVE number because nobody cares about that. It's like singing the lyrics to Les Miserables. So I'm going to suggest that we rename this bug Calamity because mm. this is a very calamitous bug. Really? So uh, being a security nerd that I am, I want you to look at the trending that we've seen with a lot of these bugs recently. Um, the I was actually working the day that the SQL slammer bug hit on uh, uh, the internet and it shut down everything. In fact, we got more calls on the help desk that day because the main help desk member in South Dakota was shut down by slammer. And so we were able to be protected because we didn't have any SQL servers running in the house. But those kinds of uh, infrastructure attacks where you're not targeting the systems that people interact with, you're targeting the things underneath it are becoming more and more um, 
prevalent. And the fact that in the article from Bleeping Computer that we're referencing, they refer to this as a Mirai-style botnet tells you that we've already created a new class of systems that we can exploit and attack. Because that's the big thing here. This is a twofold problem. One, you have security cameras and video surveillance systems that are exploitable where you can pull all the footage off of them. Boy, I wonder what I could do with that. But more importantly, once I own that system, because all I have to do is insert myself in as an impersonated node, and then I can own that whole thing. Now I have an army of botnets that I can then turn on other people. And that's where the real value for this comes into play. Again, I'm going to go back to something I referenced earlier in the episode. We are no longer dealing with kids or people who are hacking for the fun of it. That's why so many security professionals out there in the industry get like their hackles up when you say the word hacker. Because what we consider to be a traditional style hacker, even someone like a Kevin Mitnick or a Captain Crunch, they're not the hackers that we deal with anymore. The hackers we deal with are at the internet research agency or they're freelancers that are kind of working under government auspices. They are not doing this for fun. They're not doing this for exploitability or name recognition. In fact, if they would never get out, they would be happy because they're doing this as a job. This is their nine to five. And turning these botnets into exploitable, leverageable platforms to make money is the biggest thing. In fact, I will be honest with you, I would not be shocked to, in about a year, see an episode of Darknet Diaries with Jack Recider talking about how someone actually built this to become a revenue generator for like one of the North Korean Lazarus groups or or someone inside of um, a certain unnamed Eastern European country that uses the Cyrillic alphabet or something like that, because it's a business now. And you can see this by, it's the fact that it's cookie cutter repeatability. It's not, script kitty repeatability where it's like oh download this tool and you can wipe out your friends while you're playing fortnite and you can like climb up the ladder or something like this no this is find a bug use it get in take what you can turn it back on itself and exploit it and then hopefully you can get out and your crew disbands and you take the money and you go found a new crew somewhere else this looks like an intelligence operation this does not look like kids having fun pretending to be eddie vetter when they call in to the tv station kind of stuff and that's what scares the hell out of me is because you can count on amateurs to get bored eventually. Professionals get paid to do this and they're going to continue to get paid. And I really want this to stop and you're not going to be able to do that because unfortunately that's the flip side of this problem. Why do you attack IOT devices? Because you can't patch them because you can't fix them because that hardware is cheap for a reason. And if the bug is in the hardware, like we saw in Mirai, it's almost impossible to fix. I mean, there are solutions out there that are like, you know, go update the DTLS stack and all these other things. Great, but what happens when you can't? And all you gotta do is find that one golden bug of, you know, something that cannot be patched. Think of it like if you're someone who's ever uh, gone into the, the scene of uh, jailbreaking iPhones, everybody wants to find that one bug that you can't fix. Because if you can fix, if you can get a bug that you can't fix that allows you to jailbreak an iPhone, it can never be fixed, right? Except now think about someone who has like an evil Lex Luthor look on their face. And now they're like, I have an unpatchable exploit for billions of IOT devices. And now I control my secret robot army and I can do whatever I want with it. That scares me. Yeah, it scares me too, Tom. Um, it's, uh, yeah, the, the more and more that, uh, you know, what, whatever we want to call them, cyber attackers, uh, 
you know, continue to advance, the more it seems like they are in their own sect of, you know, special ops secret agency type things. And uh, yeah, if if history has taught us anything, uh, secret agents are are scary and probably something to be feared and, you know, something to shine the light on. So in this case, uh, yeah, we just we just really need to hope that either someone finds a some sort of fix to this uh, so that we don't end up having uh, massive botnets that are able to spy on any particular organization or or even, you know, imagine, God forbid, they take over uh, like a public surveillance system or something like that, and then just have, you know, full unrelented access to the city streets or, or, you know, what have you. But uh, yeah, someone, someone needs to get to the bottom of this for sure. But uh, I guess time will tell if, if that happens. Well, you know, what's not secret, Zach, is that we are here every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern time to bring you all of the news of the week, good, bad, or potentially infected with ransomware. Um, but we have a lot of great stories that we uh, assemble over the week, but it's not all that we do. We are we are more than just your local news anchors. We we have other things that we're working on. Uh, Zach, what are some of the things that you're uh, currently looking at that people should definitely be paying attention to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I uh, just finished covering or uh, I guess currently in the process of covering our, our recent storage field day event, which was really great. A lot of good things coming out of the companies there. So definitely go and check that out. Uh, also, you know, just, uh, if, if you're looking for something to do, just go to, uh, techfieldday.com and, and start checking out some of our delegates. We've got some really cool people here that, that have some very interesting backgrounds and per perspectives on tech. So just, uh, go on over and, and, and read about some of them. Cause there are some very cool people. How about they you? Are in uh, they are indeed really cool, Zach, and I love each and every one of our delegates. In fact, I just got done recording a podcast with one of our networking field day delegates, uh, AJ Murray, uh, about the art of network engineering and kind of what we do here at Field Day, and it just released today on Wednesday. So if you want to check them out, just uh, search for art of network engineering on on Google, and it'll take you to that episode, and you can listen to me drone on for an hour talking about how much I love my job. Um, but we, I really do think that we have some of the best people in the community, and you're going to get to see a lot of them coming up pretty soon because we have uh, several events that are on this calendar. Uh, we're going to be talking to our friends at NGINX about NGINX Sprint coming up next week. Uh, we have a Tech Field Day event brought to you uh, by the, um, the luminary, Mr. Stephen Foskett. And then I'll be back in uh, September uh, with uh, Networking Field Day, and we have a great lineup of delegates, like I said, AJ Murray, as, long, as well as some other folks. And if you want to see coverage from all the stuff that we've been doing, Doing, but Zach and I have been writing. You're definitely going to want to head over to our lovely site at gestaltit.com if you're not already there. Click on the links for some of the uh, things that we've been covering. And we don't just cover field day. We cover a lot of the other cool stuff in the industry. We've got a lot of great articles coming out from some of the briefings that we've been taking because the technology wheel doesn't stop turning. But this wheel has to stop turning for today at least because we need to sign off and uh, get back to some of the exciting things that we're doing so if you want to consume all of the media that we produce here you can always use gestaltit.com you can also subscribe to this uh series as a podcast if you would prefer to i don't know listen to us while we're running or uh you're driving somewhere um that is the easiest way to get us in an audio only format uh, you don't have to deal with my waving hands everywhere but uh, be sure you tune in every Wednesday, 1230 Eastern time to check out the things that we're doing. And we will make sure to continue to bring you the news that you think 
we think that you should be listening to. But for Zach DeMeyer, myself, Tom Hollingsworth, Stephen Foskett, all of our great folks here at Gestalt IT and the wonderful community that we continue to be impressed by, we hope that you have an interesting week and we will see you very soon.